Well, it is good to be here to worship with you today. And, uh, you know, it is good to have air conditioning. I am grateful to be in this room. We have a, uh, you know, a handful of, of crazy things going on. We had a celebrity on stage up here, Jonathan McKendry, who's been all over the U.S. Uh, leading worship in the last uh, uh, couple months. And, and then uh, we've got some more, the, the Hudsons, you know, are a whole, uh, another family here is visiting with us today. A uh, family of celebrities, it's good to have them visit with us today. It's just, it's a good day to come into this place and worship the Lord. And, you know, we've got such an incredible transformation, a change that I know is, is bothering a lot of people. I shaved my beard off. <laughs> Nathan said he was going to use that as an example. Uh, you wouldn't even have noticed with the chairs being changed around. We, we come here today to worship the Lord together as a church family and to lift up and to praise his holy name. I want to start out with a, with a unique illustration today. I haven't, haven't done anything like this in a while. I need one of our young adults or children that is really, really good at Legos. Is somebody around here? Okay, I see a, a hand way up there. We're going to let you come on up here. Hazel. Hazel Kimberly is really, really good at that. You've got to be good at Legos to be able to help me with this, okay? You cannot be an amateur because, well, come on up here. I mean, you have to be good with Legos. I need you to build me a house out of Legos, and I'm going to give you one brick. Get after it. Well, he built me a house. There's That's a Lego brick. That's not a whole house. Well, let's try something different. Maybe you can build a house if you had a few more Legos, right? Well, there's, let's see, there's three more on those chairs. Well, you think you can do it with those, those four Legos? Let's see. What, does it not fit? They, they, they sh You mean you need more than four Legos to build a house? So four bricks is not enough to build a house. Well, so what do you have there? Like two little corners? Well, uh, well, I appreciate it. That's a good try. Thank you for trying here. Give me my Legos back. There's our leg. Here's an important point. This is what I want to talk to you about this morning. The text that we're looking at today is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And this passage, the apostle Peter, the pastor of the first church, he's going to refer to you and I as bricks. Every one of us is like one brick, one stone in the household of God. Now, there's an important point. We're going we're to work through the text here in a minute. But we live in a culture that is so individualistic. We have this attitude that, that personally, I am the house of God. Now, there's a truism, in fact, that Jesus said that when he died, he would send the Spirit to be with us and be in us. But what we're going to find in the text today is every time that Peter is referring to the household of God, he refers to it in plural he uses a second person plural. And he says to the church, you are the people of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, you, the one brick, 
is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He didn't use a singular second person. So Dennis is not the household of faith. Dennis is not the dwelling place of Almighty God. Dennis is not the house of God. But Peter, writing to the church, says that you as the church body corporately are the people of God. And I believe that is extremely important for us to begin to get a grasp of that we're going to talk a little bit as we get a little bit further into it. There's two foundational Baptist doctrines that get confused sometimes. One of those foundational Baptist doctrines is what's called the priesthood of the believers. And oftentimes I hear this referred to as the priesthood of the believer. The idea is that I individually in some way serve as a priest for God when that's not the teaching of Scripture. Scripture teaches that we are the priest of God. We are the household of God. The other doctrine that closely resembles that, that we get it confused with, is what's called soul competency. That means that you, every single one of us individually, can stand before a holy God and is responsible to stand before a holy God and give an account for our relationship with him. But it takes all of us coming together to be the representative of Christ to a lost and dying world. None of us can do it by ourselves. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Read with me the te- text. We're in second, or first Peter chapter two. We're gonna look at the first 10 verses today. The scripture says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, that as you come to him, a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house are being built up a holy, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture. See, I lay in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you, plural, again, are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I'll point out that every single time, and yes, I went back and checked it, Every second person pronoun in this text that's translated you is you plural. And just to double down on it, in Greek, a lot of times the verb itself contains the, the, the idea of whether it's being written to a single person or plural. And so every single verb that refers to you in this text is plural. 
Not once does Peter point to an individual and say, you are a holy priesthood. You are a royal, a royal priesthood or a holy nation, or you are a chosen race. Every single time he's referring to the body of Christ, the church who have believed in Jesus. Why does that matter? It matters because you and I, to fulfill the purpose of God that we're going to get to as we walk through this text, need each other. We're not on our own in this. We need the body of Christ to function together to fulfill the purpose to which God has called us. So walk through the text with me. We said this last week, and you'll hear me say it often. He began, Peter begins again with another, therefore. And Peter is stacking uh, bricks here, so to speak. He's, he's going up a ladder. So last, the, the last couple weeks, we looked at uh, Christ, who is our living hope. And we looked in, we dug in uh, uh, chapter 1 in verses 9 through 10 or 9 through 12 about this incredible uh, marvelous salvation that we have in Christ. And so Peter has introduced us to a living hope. Last week, toward the end of that text, Peter introduced us to a living word. That he said, God's word is a living word. It is enduring. So our hope is alive in Christ because he came up out of the grave. God's word is alive and it speaks to us in a, in a very real living way where God communicates to us through his word when we spend time in his word. This week, he's going to refer to us as living stones. Jesus is the cornerstone, and you and I are parts of that household of faith. And we're alive because Christ has made us alive. So everything this week builds on what he's been saying. It builds on this incredible, beautiful, glorious salvation that we have in Christ. That the, the, our our salvation was not purchased with the, with the most beautiful, costliest things of this world. Our salvation was not purchased for us with gold or silver or diamonds. Our salvation was bought for us by the blood of the Son of God who died for our sins. The most precious of all things, God gave up his Son for us. And so our salvation comes out of that our in Christ, we have this incredible inheritance. We have the secure future that is imperishable, that will not be defiled, that will not die, will not pass away, will not fade away, and cannot be taken away from the children of God. It is unending. It is eternal. It is incredibly glorious and beautiful. And Peter had kept speaking to that. And he says, so in light of that, in light of how beautiful God's blessing is and how, how rich and deep his forgiveness is, last week he says, therefore live a holy life. And, and at the core of living that life is to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, the last couple verses of chapter 2, verses 22 down through 25, if you're looking for an immediate reference for the therefore, okay? So I've given you a big context. When Peter says, therefore, rid yourselves of this and do this. I've given you the whole context of the letter so far, but the immediate context of that letter right there in verses 22 through 25. So since you have purified yourselves by obedience to the truth so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other. So Peter's building on this idea that we are called to love each other within the body of Christ. That's the most immediate context when he says, therefore, because you, this relationship, this love relationship that you have with one another based on 
the fact that you're all here because you believe that Jesus died for you and shed his blood for you and gave you eternal life. That's why you're here. You're not just here to have fun. You're here because of what Christ did. We'll look around this congregation. We're not a giant congregation, but you look around this congregation. People are gathered here to worship today. We have people from all different backgrounds, walks of life, uh, economic stratus. We, we all come from different places. And yet we're here because of Jesus and what Christ did. And because of what he did, we have common ground. It's his blood that was shed for each of us. And we have a common sense of faith and a common hope. And Peter, out of that, calls us to love each other as Christ loved us. And if we're going to love each other as Christ loved us, Peter says, therefore, this is how you're going to do it. Put that love into action. The first way that he tells us to put that love into action is there in, in verse 1, rid yourself, and he gives us a list of sins. Now, we're used to seeing sin list in Scripture. But as soon as I read this sin list this week, as I was going back through the text over and over, the first time I read through it, in light of what we looked at the last couple of weeks in 1 Peter, it struck me that this is a little bit different. Everything in this list has to do with your relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Every one of them. It, 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 there's not a list here of some of the, the typical sin lists like we saw Paul write to the Corinthian church. Everything here has to do with interpersonal relationships. So, and it's divided up because he uses the, a Greek word that translated all, okay, at the beginning. He says all malice. And then he divides the next three words are divided up with one Greek word. So all, he says all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy. And if you think through the nature of those, that sin, that even, they have a unique characteristic in our personal relationships with one another. And then he comes down to all slander. So there's five things he gives us here. Every one of them has to do with interpersonal relationships, how you relate to each other. Peter is making application specifically to how we relate within the body of Christ. The first thing is the broadest of the terms. It's translated all malice here. The word is the Greek word kakos, which oftentimes, if you've taken Greek before, it's one of the first words you might learn. It means bad. The opposite of good. So it could be wickedness. It could be evil. Uh, almost every translation within this, in this text translates that word malice. And it's because of that idea, that interpersonal relationship, that you do something against a brother or sister in Christ in, in a, an evil or, or uh, wicked way. So he, Peter says, put off all bad, evil, wickedness. Put off all malice. And then he says, deceit, hypocrisy, and jealousy. Deceit and hypocrisy are very close and related because deceit has to do with, with me trying to trick you to do something I don't want you to do. Jealousy is uh, an attitude that I might have towards you or envy. That word is also translated envy uh, in, in the English oftentimes. So jealousy on the back end of that list has to do with me wishing I had what you have and being jealous of maybe what you have or envious of, of your stuff. And it, it it belies an idea that I'm not comfortable in where I am with my walk with the Lord and what the Lord's given me and how he's blessed me. But it has to do with that interpersonal relationship. And, and Paul tells in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is not jealous. Love would celebrate the fact that, that God has blessed you. Whereas jealousy is upset because God's blessed you in a way he hasn't blessed me. And 
Peter's saying, get, get rid of all of that. And hypocrisy falls kind of in the middle of those two where you're trying to put on a face. You're trying to be something that you're not. You're putting a mask on and you're, you're hiding behind a mask. They put off all deceit, hypocrisy, and jealousy. And then slander. Well, we know what slander is. Slander is uh, gossip. is saying negative things about other people in a harmful way. So he's dealing with your actions of malice, your attitudes of deceit, hypocrisy, and jealousy, and your words of slander. So how you act, how you think, and how you speak about your brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't believe it's an accident that Peter broke his list up by using a, a, a Greek uh, adjective or, or adverb there, all. These are the things that will destroy love relationships. They'll destroy love relationships in a family. They'll destroy love relationships with a friendship. They'll destroy relationships at work. These are the things that will destroy the love relationships that God's called us to have in the body of Christ. So he says, put off those things. Well, how do you, what are you going to put on? What are you going to move forward with? He pleads with us like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up in your salvation. Peter's primary solution here is to long for the word of God and spend time there. God is going to speak to you and he's going to teach you and he's going to communicate with you through his word. Now I'm going to put a plug in and it's a, just a shameless plug. Back in 2011, we as a church read through the Bible together. We did it chronologically. We did it in such a way that that every sermon on Sunday morning, we, were, we had sermons on Sunday night then, Wednesday night teachings, uh, Sunday school, all of it. Every week you were going to be studying something that came from the text that you read that week. The Lord is leading us to do that again. We started working on this actually pretty hard back in January, even though the Lord had put it on my heart a couple months before that. Next year, we're going to go through the Bible together. Now, with that, we live in a time now where there's new tools, okay? You all have the Bible on your phone. You have it on your, your device. Uh, I'm gonna, we're going to give you printed checklists if you want printed checklists. But there's a new tool out there that we're going to encourage you to use. It's called the Bible Recap. Some of you are using it right now. And uh, it's a, a, a company that is the, they actually it's started about five years ago. It's in the fifth year they've done it where when you finish your reading that day, you can listen to it on YouTube or on a podcast and you can hear a five to eight minute recap of what you've just read. Sometimes that's very helpful, especially with all the Old Testament texts that we're going to be reading. The lady that, that leads this effort is named Tara Lee Cobble, and she was a worship minister and was involved in ministry uh, pretty prolifically in her church and, and in, uh, around the U.S. She was a, a speaker, and her pastor came to her one time and said, have you ever read scripture all the way through. And she said, I thought about it for a minute. And she said, I thought, well, you know, if you take the times I've read the Old Testament, the New Testament, I've taught on these books and these, I might've probably, maybe I've read it all the way through. And he said, no, have you read the Bible all the way through? And she said, no. And he said, I want to challenge you not to get up on stage and say very much anymore until you have read scripture. So you've read the Bible. 
And I immediately thought, how many pastors would be disqualified from the pulpit? Because we've read the parts that we liked, but not read all of scripture. Now she points out the first year that she read through the Bible, she didn't like it. And she came to her pastor and told him that. I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it. There's a lot of stuff in there I didn't like. And he said, I want to challenge you to go back and read through it again. And this time, look for God in every scripture. Don't look for yourself. See, we've been trained for years to go to the Bible and pick it up and read it and say, what does this say to me? Or what does this say about me? How can I find myself in scripture? That's not what scripture's for. God gave us his word so that we could know him. So I challenge you, when you read your Bible, look for God. What is he trying to tell you about himself? What is he revealing about himself in that passage, in that text? Because when we do that, when we go and start looking for the God who's revealed himself in his word, we will fall in love more and more with Jesus, who is there from the very beginning of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. God begins revealing himself, and Peter's pleading with his church to, like newborn infants, long for the pure milk of the word. Where are you going to find the pure milk of the word? In Scripture. It's, we will go to other people's ideas, other people's thoughts. We'll study our doctrinal systems because that's a lot easier than going to Scripture itself, the pure, unadulterated Word of God. Fall in love with His Word. Desire His Word. And, and Peter says that uh, as you fall in love and you desire His Word, you will grow up in your salvation. You'll not be dependent upon somebody else's salvation. You won't be dependent upon somebody else's interpretation. You will grow up in your salvation. Paul says that when you do that, you're connected that way, you won't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. God's word is our foundation for spiritual growth in our relationship with him. So if you haven't already read through the Word of God. Join us January the 1st of 2024. You can get started by practicing. The, the, the same Bible recap uh, has the, it'll, you can do the three months of the New Testament and start in October the 1st. So you get yourself ready and just do the New Testament and then you'll be ready, uh, prepared to go through the Old Testament. It takes about 15 minutes a day to read Scripture. Not always 15 minutes, but it takes about 15 minutes normally to read the text. You can go through Scripture all of the Bible in a year, if you'll just take 15 minutes out of your day. How many of y'all spend 15 minutes or more in front of the television set? God's Word's a whole lot more valuable than what you're going to find on that TV set. Put your love into action. Getting rid of the toxic personal attitudes and long for God's Word. If you've tasted that the Lord is good, spend time in His Word. And then Peter dives in to this uh, theology of who we are in Christ. We are a dynamic fellowship. Verse 4 and 5, he says, You, 
as you come to him, a living stone. Jesus is alive. He was rejected by people, chosen by honor by God, but you yourselves are living stones. So Peter's going to point out just as Jesus died and rose again, and he is alive through his resurrection, you and I come into this household of faith, also chosen by God through Jesus Christ as living stones. We are bricks in the household of faith. We're just one piece. This is one of the illustrations I used in my dissertation on the pastors of church member, because I think that this is one place churches get it wrong. We talk about the church being the household of God, but we, we forget that the, the pastor or pastors in our case, there's three of us ordained men that serve as uh, pastors in this church. We're just individual bricks. None of us is the foundation. None of us is the steeple. None of us is, it holds any special place. I'm just one of. In this illustration, if we as a body of Christ, a local body of believers, is a place where God dwells and functions and, and accomplishes his mission and his purpose through us, I'm just one of you. There's nothing special in this metaphor about the pastor that he serves in a particular position. Now, there's one metaphor where that the pastor is set aside, and that's the, the metaphor of the sheep and the shepherd. We're not going to get into all of this uh, this deep in our ecclesiology today, but I want you to understand that every one of us is a brick in the household of faith, and one brick does not a house make. You can't make a castle out of one Lego. You got to have a whole bunch of them, and they got to be connected together, and when they're connected together, you can build a really cool-looking house or a castle out of a whole bunch of little bitty individual bricks. But it takes multiple ones tied together. And we, when we function as God's people, we are a living, dynamic fellowship. First of all, Peter references Psalm chapter uh, 118, 19 through 24. It's also a passage that Jesus referred to. Jesus pointed out the fact that he was going to be rejected when he was predicting his crucifixion in Matthew chapter 23. So, or, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 21, verse 42. Peter, Jesus quotes this passage in reference to himself. He was that first stone that was rejected by men. He was cast aside. Now, as he was rejected by men, there, men set him aside, but God chose him. God said, men may reject you, but I'm going to use you. I believe that that illustration, as, as it speaks to Christ, also speaks to us. When we function as a part of the body of Christ, we also will be rejected. Jesus said so. If the world's hated me, the world's going to hate you too. Don't be surprised by that. But he says in verse, I'm sorry, in verse 5 there, you yourselves as living stones or a spiritual house being built up to a holy priesthood to do what? Offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're built up as a body of Christ to offer him sacrificial service. Every single one of us is a part of that priesthood. We have become the Lord's priest. This is predicted by the prophet Isaiah back in Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 66. You and I are the priesthood of faith. We're going to talk about the responsibilities of priesthood here in just a moment. 
promise I'll get there quickly. The first thing that we are is we're a dynamic fellowship. The second thing is we have a divine foundation. I got ahead of myself a little bit here a moment ago. Christ is the foundation. Now notice what Peter says, for all who believe in verse seven. There are a bunch that don't believe, but for all who believe, Jesus becomes the cornerstone, the foundation of our life and our purpose. For those who don't believe, he becomes a stumbling block. Those who don't obey the word of God. We've already seen last week when Peter references the idea of obeying the word of God, it's the idea of belief, accepting that God is who he says he is and he's gonna do what he says he's gonna do. Those who disobey the word, there in verse eight, will stumble over Christ. I, there's a lot of reasons I believe that people stumble over the idea of Jesus. People, a, a lost and dying world, will refer to Christianity as an exclusive religion. Christianity is not an exclusive religion. In fact, it is the most inclusive. God said, for whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's open to all. The path is narrow because most scripture says, choose not to believe. So it's not exclusive. The, the Lord has opened his arms on the cross through his son. When, when, he, who, when he died for the sin of all, so that every single man, woman, child on the face of this earth can have the hope of eternal life through salvation in Jesus Christ. But Jesus is the only way. He, he invites all but he also says that, that the only way to the Father is through me. He says it in John 14. Peter says it in Acts chapter 4. There's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved except for the name of Jesus. He is the only road to salvation. And people stumble over that. They trip over it. Some struggle because it seems too easy. that you mean all I, what God's asking of me is to believe that he is who he says he is, put my faith and trust in him and follow him. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to uh, pay a certain amount. I don't have to go through a certain process. No. So some, some think it's too easy. Those who have walked with Christ know it's not easy. It's simple. Focus your attention on Jesus, trust him and follow him, but it's not easy. So many will stumble over that, especially those who want to overcomplicate spiritual things and religious life. But those who believe in Christ, he himself has become that cornerstone, that solid foundation upon which a life can be built. So we, have a we are a dynamic fellowship. We have a divine faith. And then lastly, we have privilege and purpose as God's chosen people. Read verses 9 and 10 again, and then walk through this quickly with you. The scripture says, but you, plural, we as a whole, together are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that we may proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. 
you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. A lot of this passage, this quote, comes from Exodus chapter 19. When God meets Moses on the mountain and is preparing to give him the Ten Commandments, God says this to Moses. It says, Moses went up to the mountain to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, this is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples. Although the whole earth is mine and you will be my kingdom of priests, and my holy nation, these are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. First thing I want you to notice that God, the first thing that God tells Moses is, I brought you, the Israelites, to me. God brought them into a personal relationship with him. He says, I brought you out of Egypt. I carried you on eagles' wings. And he didn't say, I brought you to this new land. I brought you to this new place. God says, I brought you to me. So in Exodus 19, God was in the business of reconciling his people and drawing his people to himself, to a relationship with him. That's exactly what Christianity is all about. God loves you and me so much so that he wants to draw us and bring us to him. That's what he did through Christ on the cross. He provided a pathway that we could come to him. God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our talent. He doesn't need our intelligence. He doesn't need our energy. He wants us because he loves us. And he loves us so much he sent his son for us. And he, he drew, drew them, he drew the Israelites to himself. And he says, you are my people. Out of all the peoples, you are my people. Peter is looking back to this text when he writes to the church because Israel throughout their history, and I'm, I'm in Jeremiah now in my reading, Israel, especially the, the northern kingdom, every time you read about the northern kingdom, it says he was horrible. He was a king who did not do God's will. He was a king who was not after God's heart. The entire, the top, the northern ten tribes of Israel, they never had a good king that sought God. Eventually, there were a handful of kings in the southern kingdom that did seek God's will. They would come in, they'd destroy all the idols that their daddy built or their granddaddy built, and they'd tear them down, they'd, they'd burn them, they'd get rid of them, and they would lead the nation back to worship God, and that would last for a generation or two at the most. And then another king would come along, one of their kids or grandkids, and he would turn the Israelites back against God again. And it was just continual and habitual. But one of the things that you see that's pretty consistent with the people of Israel is they love the fact that they were God's chosen people. He's our God. What they didn't like the fact was that God wanted them to take his message to all the rest of the world. See, that's what a priest does. A people of God, you have that, that privilege of being able to come into the throne room of heaven. You have a privilege of worship. You have the privilege of, of being able to come into his presence. You can read his word. His spirit dwells in you. You can walk in a relationship. 
there are great privileges to being one of God's children. But with that privilege comes great, great responsibility. God says that if you're going to be mine, you have the privilege of being my own possession, but you also have the responsibility of being a priest. The priest is a great illustration because the priest's job was to take the, the, the heartache and the sins of the people to God, and then he would receive a message from God, and he would take that message back to the people. So in an individual way, the priest served the individual in that the priest was the connection to God. That was the illustration of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. The priest would bring a message to the people. He would take the people's message to God, then he would take God's message back to the people. God tells Israel as a whole, as a group, now get past the individualistic part, but you and I as a group, we're called to be a kingdom, a priest. So our privilege is being able to come into God's presence, into his word and, and receive a message from him. But our responsibility is to take that message to a lost and dying world. And if we fail to proclaim his praises to those outside of these walls, as, as Peter refers to, we fail to go out and take the message of Christ to a lost and dying world, we have failed in the number one purpose that God has called us to be as a church. And some might say, well, you're just being hard on Israel. No, I'm not. Probably one of the best illustrations of Israel's failure is Jonah. God told Jonah, I want you to go talk to the, the Ninevites. Now, the Ninevite, Nineveh was the capital city of the number one enemy of Israel at the time. Jonah said, I don't want to do it. I want you to take my message of repentance and go to Nineveh and tell them if they don't repent, I'm going to destroy them. Jonah says, no. But he gets on a boat to flee. As he's trying to flee from fulfilling the purpose of God, God sends a storm. Ultimately, they throw Jonah in the water. You know the story. Jonah ends up going to Nineveh. I feel like a whole lot of us in the church are that way. So, well, I'll go tell them about Jesus if I have to. But in Jonah's case, he's walking the streets of Nineveh and he's hoping that they will reject the message and they'll all die and go to hell. He wants them to die and go to hell because they're his enemy. God says, you take my message of repentance to Nineveh. So Jonah walks to the streets of Nineveh and he half-heartedly says, hey, God said, if you don't repent, he's going he's to destroy you. So they repent. In sackcloth and ashes, they all repent. Jonah gets mad about it. He didn't want them to repent. He wanted them to reject the word of God because God, we are God's people, not these Assyrians. They failed miserably on the responsibility of what it means to be a kingdom of priests that God called them to be in Exodus 19. This wasn't the last time God spoke to him about that. You read it all through the Old Testament. But now, through Christ Jesus, God has raised up his church. And he tells us that we are a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, chosen by God to fulfill his purpose. So we have the privilege of coming into God's presence but we have the responsibility 
proclaiming his word to those that don't know him. That's the purpose of this royal priesthood, of this temple of the Holy Spirit that we are bricks in. Now, there's a whole lot more. There's more beauty to this illustration than, than, than we could even hope to get into today because one brick can't do it all. You've seen that in the illustration. But some of you are, are, are great at just loving people. Some of you are really good teachers. Some of you are great at saying, this is what the Lord says. You need to be obedient. Some of you are good counselors. But none of us can do it all. So Jesus may have been the perfect, the one man who, who could show incredible mercy and also stand tall and proclaim God's word, thus saith the Lord, and, and everything in between. But for us to have a hope of fulfilling God's purpose on earth, for us to be Christ to a lost and dying world, it takes us all working together to fulfill his purpose. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Wataga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Wataga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwataga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.